0: Fear is a real thing. And it it grips people. You don't even have to be in the times that we're in. And fear tries to grip people. What fear does when it grips someone is it isolates them. Isolates them off. And I think about the story. I think it was uh, Elisha and his servant the armies of the land were coming down on them. And there was thousands of armies out there against one or two dudes. And Elisha tells his servant, he says, go out Your servant comes running in and says, what are we going to do? He's gripped with fear. They feel isolated. They feel alone. He feels alone. And Elisha tells him to go out And asked God to open his eyes. And when he opened his eyes. He saw the heavens armies. Tens of thousands of thousands of thousands. In the atmosphere. And he said. Elisha said. There are more of us. Than there are of them. And that's the key. Is to know that when you feel isolated. There are more of the angel army. Standing around you. Than there is of anything that would try to come and take from you. God's got you. God's got you. Don't let fear. Don't let fear isolate you. Amen. I believe that this morning there are some of you looking at these times and maybe your paycheck come in, and it's not what you thought it was, or maybe you're hearing that there's uh, layoffs coming. That fear tries to isolate. But I want to tell you something. God said this to me. How come God talks when you're in the bathroom? <laughs> I guess because you're only concentrating on one thing. Huh? But, he, but he spoke. He spoke. Hey, this is something I learned from my spiritual father. God doesn't leave you when he, you go to the potty. <laughs> so be ready. He said there's going to be people this morning that are gripped by fear of their paycheck being taken away from them. And if you are gripped by that fear, if you have the fear of a layoff, if you have a fear that your job is going to to go away, that your paycheck is going to go away, you don't know what you're going to do. If you've been thinking those thoughts, thinking those thoughts, I want to tell you, God said that you are in line for a promotion if you'll just... Open your eyes and see that you're surrounded by more of his army than what's coming against you. Amen? Amen. So this is the first of the month. The first of the month, you know, here at Cowboy Church, we don't pass a hat. We have a box in the back or you can give online. But we like to pray over your finances, what you've given and what you're going to give. So we want to do that this morning. I've asked my wife to come up. She, she was telling me in the bathroom this morning—not in the same bathroom that I was in when God spoke to me. <clears throat> That's the restroom. I was in the bathroom. And she was talking to me, and she said that she goes, "This morning I just feel like you need to tell them this and tell them." This. I said, "No, you're coming up, and you're saying it. It's better, better coming from the mouth. You're not the Holy Spirit to me this morning. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you." So, go ahead and tell them what you're telling me. You.
1: Yeah, you're good. I, know what he should do. <laughs> no,
0: I have two Holy Spirits.
1: <laughs> oh, so I would ask you to put your hand on your heart right now. Because the Bible tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so this morning, I want to declare over us as the entry. distracted by what is going on. So, Father, we connect our budget to the kingdom. We connect our income to the kingdom. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we declare that we will not have a fear of the future. Because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. No, we declare that we will not fear. We say that fear is a liar and we do not agree with fear. And right now, here's what I really want you to get. We will not imagine and think on any part of our financial future apart from God. If you are thinking of any part of your future apart from God, which includes your finances, you are thinking in the devil's direction. So right now, you put your thoughts and say, Father, I include you in my finances, and I only think on my financial future with your eyes and what you say about me. And I declare that, I receive it, and I believe it. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 amen.
0: Amen, amen. Well, turn around and give somebody a knuckle bump Tell them it's good to see them this morning. All right, all right, all right. How's everybody this morning? Good deal, good deal. Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. Um, I guess our senior hives took off. They're at the front door if you missed them. And um, you're still dismissed if you want to. Um, They may be driving away, so no, I'm kidding. Um, Just chase them down the road, I guess, and they'll... You'll catch them. All right, <clears throat> how y'all doing this morning? It is good to, good to see everyone. Good to have you Facebook Live and all of our other platforms. I don't know how many platforms we have, but uh, people are watching all around the, the the planet. I I hope five platforms. And um, man, it's good to good to see you all this morning. Good to have my boy home. And, and uh, i missed I missed your worship. I wish you would have been able to come back and worship with us, so of yeah. course <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and um, it's good to have Trey and Heather Johnson in the house. Chloe, yeah. Gus, good to have you. and um, shoot it's uh we'll we'll have them up here at some point pretty soon. Um, they're going to be hanging out with us for a while and are just in and out they're they're traveling around up in this area, roping and having fun and doing all the good stuff. Summer summer tour, ain't it? Trey Johnson's summer tour. <laughs> so, anyways, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you go to Luke chapter 19? And I'm going to read out of several translations this morning, but uh, the main one that I'm going to read out of is the Passion, the, the, the Passion Bible that um, Lynette loves, and uh, she has kind of been the Holy Spirit, and told me to read it, <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> so uh, we're, I'm going to read a little bit out of that this morning, but um, man, Candace, you did a great job this morning. I mean, I like Dante's version of that song, but I I love yours. That's really good. Good job. Speaking of Candace, didn't she do a great job last weekend? You know, <clears throat> I had no idea that this was where I was going to jump off from today, but Last week, Candace talked about the pathway to victory. And when she brought that, she brought that from the scripture of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his last week uh, of life and ministry before he went to the cross. And um, she brought out a great point, is that, you know, during that time, the followers, Jesus' followers, were expecting him to come in and set up his kingdom... They wasn't expecting the cross. They wasn't expecting him to die, even though he had told them several times that he was going to go to the cross, that he was going to die. But they didn't get it. They thought, you know, hey, we're, we're people of faith. We're, we have faith enough that Jesus don't have to go to the cross. He don't have to die. He's going to come in and he's going to set up his kingdom. And he's going to conquer Rome. He's going to take Rome down. And, and, and we're all going to live happily ever after. Great Disney movie. We're just going to live happily ever after. And, you know, why, why wouldn't they have that thought? Why wouldn't they have that process of thought? Because over the last few months leading up to this point, they had seen some of the most incredible miracles and encounters that they had ever seen in Jesus' ministry. I mean, they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was dead. D-E-D, dead. He was dead. Four days in the, in the tomb. And Jesus raised him from the dead. That was something. And, and, and Lazarus was right there with them. So they knew that he was alive. This wasn't a fable. This is Lazarus is there with them through this time. They watched him heal ten lepers. The outcasts of society, the lepers, who you weren't supposed to get near, who you weren't supposed to be a part of their lives. You wasn't supposed to interact with them in community. But Jesus healed them and introduced them back into society. And one of the greatest miracles that Jesus did during that time was when he met a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was an IRS agent. He was a tax collector. How can God love tax collectors? You know, they were the they were they were probably worse than lepers in society because they were known as cheats and jesus turned zacchaeus's heart god turned zacchaeus's heart to where he gave back all the taxes that he collected gave back all the profits that he made and gave them back into the people it turned his heart i mean i mean that's that's a miracle And so why wouldn't they think that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom? So Jesus, knowing what they were thinking about him, what they were thinking that he was going to do, just a few days before his entrance into Jerusalem for the last week, Jesus was in a town called Jericho, staying at the house of Zacchaeus. Knowing what these people, what all the people, what all his followers were thinking about him defeating Rome, he tells them a parable. And this is the parable that he told them. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. This is from the Passion Translation. It says, At that time, Jesus was getting close to entering Jerusalem. The crowds that followed him were convinced that God's kingdom realm was would truly manifest when Jesus established it in Jerusalem. So he told them this story to change their perspective. Listen to that. He tells them this parable. He tells them this story to change their perspective. This is about changing their perspective of what they're thinking about him. Let's go on, verse 12. Once there was a wealthy prince who left his pro- his province to travel to a distant land where he would be crowned king and then return before he departed he summoned his ten servants together and said i am entrusting each of you with 50000 dollars to trade with to trade with while i'm away invest it and put the money to work until i return some of his countrymen despised the prince and sent a delegation after him to declare before the royals, we refuse to let this man rule over us. He will not be our king. Nevertheless, he was crowned king and returned to his land. Then he summoned his ten servants to see how much each one had earned and what their profits came to. The first one came forward and said, Master, I took what you gave me and invested it, and it multiplied ten times. Splendid, splendid. You have done well, my excellent servant, because you have shown that you can be trusted with this small matter. I now grant you authority to rule over 10 10 fortresses, fortress cities. The second came and said, master, what you have left me has multiplied five times. His master said, I also grant you authority in my kingdom over five fortress cities. Another came before the king and said, Master, here is the money that you entrusted to me. I hid it for safekeeping. One translation said, He hid it in a napkin. <laughs> Verse 21, he says, You see, I live in fear of you, for everyone knows that you are a strict master and impossible to please. You push us for a high return on all that you own, and you always want to gain from someone else's efforts. The king said, You wicked servant. That wasn't splendid, was it? <laughs> you wicked servant. I will judge you using your own words. If what you have said about me is true, that I am a harsh man pushing, pushing you for high return and wanting gain from others' efforts, why didn't you at least put my money in the bank to earn some interest on what I entrusted to you. The king said to his <clears throat> the king said to his other servants, take the money he has and give it to the faithful servant who multiplied my money 10 times over. But master, the other servants objected, why give it to him? He already has so much. Yes, replied the king, but to who? But to all who have been faithful, But to all who have been faithful, but to all who have been faithful, even more will be given to them. And for the ones who have not who have nothing, even the little they seem to have will be taken from them. I'm going to stop right there. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you so much for this day. Father, as your word sometimes is mysterious, your word sometimes we have to have help with, I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would just rest in this place. Rest upon me to communicate your word accurately and with integrity and that your people would hear it accurately and with integrity. Father, I just pray that today as your word goes out, as your word is, is opened up to our hearts and our minds, that it would change and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. I thank you so much for what you're going to do today, what you're going to talk about today through me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I have um, had so many people when I got into ministry, they said, when are you going to get a real job? This is, it doesn't get any realer than this. I don't know if realer is a word, but it gets realer on a tray. It gets realer sometimes. And, um, but the job that I had before I went into ministry, the last job that I had before I went into to ministry, I worked in one of the largest, I worked in the largest privately held companies in the world. And uh, it was a Petrochem company. And we, we made um, parts and, and uh, different things. I don't know how else to say it, just different um, mechanisms that go into refineries. And uh, when you drive past a refinery and see the burners, the flare stacks, the recovery, vapor recovery units, things like that, that's what we built at this company. And so I got hired on as the inventory control clerk. I was there to make sure that we had all the parts and everything that we needed to build what we needed to build, made sure that they were in the warehouse. And, and so that was my job. When the jobs would come in, I would go through the parts list, make sure all those parts were ordered and in the warehouse so that they could build those parts or build those uh, different pieces. And so I was in the large manufacturing plant at that time. By the time I left the company, I, had, uh, I was the inventory manager manager over two main facilities, two facilities, two warehouses, and I had been promoted to junior purchasing agent, junior buyer. So I was getting to spend the company's money, and it was fun. And um, so I, I started, when I was reading this story, I was thinking about when I got hired on at that company and what it um, the, some of the processes that I went through. And one of the processes when I got hired onto that company was they, you know, I go through this whole list of paperwork and things. And one of the things they took us through is they, they took us through retirement planning. I'm 22 years old. Why am I talking about retirement planning? <laughs> retirement planning. And, and, and so they sat down and they wanted to put together a 401k. You all know what a 401k is? It's where they take a, you, you take a percentage of your paycheck and you put it into a 401k. Somebody else invests your money to see what kind of nest egg you can save up for, for retirement. And so when I was going through that setup on the 401k, they gave me different levels of intensity of investing. So when I put that percentage in, I can, I can go with a modest... Um, amount, which a modest amount would give you less return. You could do a moderate amount, which will give you a little bit more return, or you can get aggressive, which give you a high return, but a high risk. 22 years old. I'm not a gambling man, but at 22 years old, and I'm thinking about Retiring at 65 or whatever, I'm like, let's get all the money we can get. So I went aggressive. I wanted an aggressive 401K. And by the time I quit that job and cashed it out, it was Lynette's wedding ring. (laughs) She got a nice ring. But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this story, or when I was reading this story, I was thinking about that, that point in my life. See, Jesus was so famous for his parables. What is a parable? A parable is a story. But what makes a parable a parable is the mystery that's in the parable. Because when Jesus would tell a parable, if you weren't on the inside, if you if you were just a common person hearing this story that Jesus was telling... You just heard a story with a good, um, what do they call that? A good moral to the story. But if you were on the inside, you were a follower, you were following Jesus, you were with him. What you were hearing is not just a story, but you were hearing a mystery. You were getting insider information into into that story and what was taking place, what Jesus was really saying. So Jesus tells this story. This parable was no different. This, this parable, I don't know if you caught the gist of this parable, but it sounds really close to the parable of the talents that Jesus told. Sounds really, but it's not the same parable. What I found out in study is that this, um, this type of parable was told all through Jewish times for different reasons. And so the parable of the talents is not this parable, and this parable is not the parable of the talents. As a matter of fact, he didn't tell the parable of the talents until he got into Jerusalem for that last week. This was told before he went into Jerusalem. (coughs) They sound similar in content, but they're not the same because they're days apart. This parable, when you look at it in the King James Version, is called the parable of the pounds, or in the New King James, it's called the parable of the minas, minas, M-I-N-A-S. But a pound here, uh, a pound or this this um, story, the pound or the mina is a unit of measure during their times, a unit or measure of, of money. And so... As I was listening, or as I was um, as I was listening to God on what to preach this week, there was a phrase that came up, a phrase that just dropped into my spirit, and I knew it was scripture, but I didn't know where the scripture was at until I went and found it in this story. And this is the only place where this phrase is mentioned. But in in Luke chapter nineteen, verse thirteen, in the King James version, here's what it says: verse thirteen says. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. So what we have to understand is in this story, there were ten servants. And this prince came to him, came to them, and had given them each a pound of that money. A pound or a mina of that money. In the Passion Translation, it says they gave them $50,000. Now listen, I looked up this word mina or this word pound to see what it meant to them. And the word pound or mina was was equal to three months wages. So he gave to each one of them Three months' wages. How much is that? So I did a little calculation. I looked up what our what our, uh, here in Colorado the, the minimum the minimum wage was. It's twelve bucks an hour. Man, when I started out in job in the job place, <laughs> it was four dollars and twenty five cents. <laughs> but twelve bucks an hour here in the state of Colorado. Three months of 12 bucks an hour at 40 hours a week comes out to 5,760 bucks. 10 people at 5,760 bucks was about $50,000, a little over $50,000. He gave them each 5,000 bucks approximately. And he said, I want you to manage this. He said, I'm going to give you this money, each one of you, and you occupy till I come. Here's this unit of measure, occupy till I come. So what does occupy mean? All the other translations of the Bible define it a little bit different or define it in different words. (coughs) Occupy means to do business, to buy and sell, to invest, to trade, or to put money to work. He said, occupy until I come. I've given you this money. Now listen, this is a parable. This is not a financial message. This is a parable. There's a mystery involved in here. The number 10 stood out to me i love I love numerology in the Bible and what what numbers mean in the Bible, and the number ten is perfect divine order. I mean, you have the ten commandments, each one of us are perfect divine order. we all have ten fingers and ten toes that 's what we started out with anyways <laughs> unless you 're from Arkansas, then you have twelve i 'm kidding, I am so kidding all my Arkansas people. My daddy's from Arkansas, and I 've got all mine all right <laughs> he's got he's got ten all right that will that'll, that'll get clicked off real easy. Get your show clicked off real easy won't it? you do that <clears throat> but it's the the perfect divine the number ten means perfect divine order, but I also found another meaning to the word ten and the and the or the number ten the number ten is the measure of trial or testing in temptation. It is the number of trial, the measure of trial, or testing in temptation. See, it's a measure. There's a measure that takes place. He gave this to these ten servants because these ten servants, without the king or without the prince being there with them, he gives this to them knowing that they're going to go through testing and trial while he's gone, but now they have been given this to occupy, to do business, to to invest, use the money that they've been given because they're going to be going through trial and test and temptation. Are you with me? See, these Jewish people that Jesus is walking with, they live in the middle of ethical, cultural, and political oppression. This is why they're so hungry for Jesus to come and set up his kingdom and defeat Rome because Rome is the greatest power in the world. And just the very presence of a Roman soldier or a Roman dignitary in their presence brought the presence or incited fear in their presence. The people were scared when they walked down the street and they would see the Roman soldiers coming. They would step aside because they feared the power that Rome carried to them and oppressed them with. So it was easy for them to have the mindset in saying, Jesus We cannot wait until you set up your kingdom and take down this disgusting people of Rome and we get to rule power over them. We get to rule over them. They're disgusting people. And Jesus, you need to set up your kingdom. We need you to set up your kingdom. But see, Jesus knew the times. I talked about that several weeks ago. And we need to know the times and the seasons that we're in. Jesus knew the times and the seasons that they were in. He knew their mindsets. He knew their need for escape of injustices, of trials, and of temptations. He knew their need for them to want to be free from that oppression. He knew their need to want to just get out of that deal that their, their time of oppression, they felt like it was over and he knew that they were thinking that way. But he needed to shift their focus to understanding the times that were coming and that they were not times of escape. As a matter of fact, the times were going to get worse and he needed them to understand that he was going to give them something in this time. And when he gave them that something in this time, they needed to occupy until he comes back. There was a measure of something that they were going to get. And I think about us in the times that we're living in. And I think about what the church, so many in the church is saying so many in the church are wanting escape. They're looking at all the stuff that's happening in our society, in our culture, and we're seeing and starting to feel the oppression that's beginning to happen in our society. And all of a sudden, the Christians who know a little bit about the Bible are going, we need out of here. The rapture's coming. If I can just get started, maybe God will help me get out of this place. And we feel this need to escape our world's injustices and the trials, the tests, the temptations. But this parable is as relevant to us as it was to that people that Jesus was talking to before he was coming into his week. See, the mystery of the parable is this. Jesus was the prince. He was the prince. And the money that he gave to them, he used money because he knew that people understood the value of money, what money meant to them, the benefits of money, the preciousness of money. It meant a lot to them. So to have three months wages given to them, they knew that was a big chunk of change. And they knew the value of those things. And so as Jesus begins to talk, he he gives these servants the same amount of money. See, in the parable of the talents, and I'm not here to compare the two parables this morning, but in the parable of the talents, he gave five, two, and one. But in the parable of the pounds, he gives 10 people the same measure. It's the same measure. No one is different. What's different is how it's being used. <clears throat> so what was this measure? What is this money equal? And here's what I found for this time that we're living in. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, from the New King James, it says, but to each one of us, or from the King James, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. What was Christ's gift? Look here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, see there's the grace given again, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to, as God has dealt every man the measure of faith. The measure of faith. <clears throat> now, I read that to you from the King James Version because the King James Version, every every newer version after the King James, every updated version, quotes this scripture as having a measure of faith. But it's not a measure because a measure could be a measure for you is different than a measure for you. It could be, you know, I just, you know I, I just love Kevin so much. This is God speaking. I just love Kevin so much. I'm giving him a gallon bucket of faith. But Bailey, his wife, <laughs> just because she's married to him, she's got to have a little bit of faith, you know. So I'm going to give to her a cup of faith. And then Jacina, oh, my gosh. She's going to get a teaspoon because, you know, she just, you know, we just don't know about her. We're we're, we're hoping she grows that a little bit, you know. But see, that's a measure. He says here, the measure, which means they all get a gallon. Everyone gets a gallon. Everyone gets $5,760. Everyone gets the same measure of faith. We don't have any of... My faith is no greater than Kevin's. My faith is no greater than Jacina's. We've all been given the same amount of faith. It's how we use it. It's how we occupy with the faith that we've been given. Jesus said, occupy until I come. Occupy. So are we occupying? Are we occupying? Are we doing business? Are we investing that faith? Are we putting the grace gift of faith to work in our lives and into this place, into this time and this season that we're living in? Because let me tell you something. Jesus died on that cross. He gave us the measure of faith. Now we are to occupy with it until he comes. As far as I know, he has not come back. Unless he snuck in and all of us got left behind. Which there are some groups out there that will say that. But I don't believe it. Because when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a lot more glorious than him sneaking in. <clears throat> so are we occupying? When I begin to think back on that 401k that I set up, <clears throat> I had four options of investing the the number one option that I had was that I had the option of not investing. I, I had the option of saying, "I'm not going to do a 401k I'm going to hang this out here by myself. I think I can save enough money. I think I can do better than the investment people. So no investment means there is no risk, right? No investment, no risk but there's no return. A modest investment is low risk, but it has small return. A moderate investment has some risk and it has a fair return. But then there's that aggressive, high risk, high return that we have. When I was reading this parable and what the results were when the prince comes back and he starts talking to the people that he gave that measure of money to, I found that there were four levels of their investment. The first one comes back and he says, Look, I took, I took this $5,000 and I multiplied it to 50. Splendid. <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. Well done. Well done. He said, This is the way I like my lamb. Well done. Good and faithful servant. I'm gonna I'm gonna set you because you were faithful with a little bit, I'm gonna set you over ten fortress cities. You were you were faithful with this, I'm gonna give you authority. Did you hear that? You were faithful with this little bit, you were faithful. I'm going to give you authority. The second one come to him and he said, I've taken your $5,000 and I have multiplied it five times. $25,000. He said, man, that's, that's great. I love it. I love it. You did a moderate. You got a moderate, a fair return. Then the third guy comes in and he said... I took your five thousand dollars. Here is your five here 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 is your five thousand dollars back. He's thinking, I did a good thing. Here's your five thousand dollars back. I hid it in a napkin. <laughs> I hid this so that no one would get it and it would be here when you got back because I know I've known you to be a hard, harsh master. And the the prince looked at him and said, dude, you're wicked. You're a wicked servant. Now, what does the word wicked mean to us? The word, word wicked is bad. Now, let me tell you something. When he said that, it was bad. It was bad. But as I looked this word up, the number one definition of that word is annoying. He's like, you. this, what you're doing right now, this is annoying because this was splendid, this was great, you're just an annoyance. This is annoying me right now, this is not good because you say that you fear me because you think that I am mean and harsh and I'm, I cheat people. He says, I'm going to use your own words against you. See, there was no risk that this guy took. There was no risk. And therefore, there was no return. He said, could you, you think I'm, I'm a harsh man to get along with and you think that I reap where I don't sow? If you feared me all that much, why didn't you just put it in the bank and get me a percentage on it? I mean, it's not 10 times, it's not five times, but it's a percentage. There's your... Modest risk. He said, You could have got me just a little bit. Show me that you had a little bit of faith. Show me that you had a little bit of the need to occupy to use what I have given you. Now, bring it into today. We have all been given the measure of faith. Are we using it? Are we investing it the way that it was given? are we doing that? Cuz Jesus said occupy. The word occupy, see this this whole parable is about stewarding. Stewarding the grace gift of his faith that we have been given. What is a steward? A steward is one having responsibility to oversee or manage as if you were the owner. As if see it's not yours but you handle it as if it is yours. See, this measure of faith that we've been given is not our faith. It's his faith. You've just been given faith to use it. Now, here's what I want you to understand. As a human being, we all, everyone is wired with inherent faith ability. From the time you come out of the womb, there's a there's an inherent faith ability that has been given to us. That's called your faith. That's your ability to walk into a room and sit down in a chair and believe it's going to hold you whether you're a Christian or not. You have this ability to believe. As a matter of fact, it is your faith that kicks in whenever you hear the gospel preached and you say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I recognize that and I need him. I recognize that I need him. And when you operate your faith, his faith then comes. And that causes you to be born again. Because it causes you to become a Christian. And when you're a Christian, you're born again, you receive the measure of faith. That is God's faith. That's where God's faith comes in. That's where God's faith is given to you. That's where God's faith becomes the measure that you are to occupy the rest of the time until he comes back with. That is his faith. In Mark chapter 11, as a matter of fact, it's just Mark chapter 11 is after Jesus comes in to that last week and they're walking to the temple. Jesus and his disciples are walking to the temple and he's hungry, so he goes and tries to get some fruit off a fig off of the tree, and the tree didn't have any figs and, and, and didn't give him anything to eat. And Jesus spoke to that tree and he says, "Cursed, no one will ever eat figs from you again. The next day they come past that tree, and it's dried up from the roots, and it just now a tree don't die overnight, but this tree does. This tree did. And what was funny is when Peter come walking past that tree, he goes, Whoa, dude, that is the tree that you spoke to yesterday. And it's dead. You know what Jesus said to him? Mark eleven twenty two says, have faith in God. That's the translation. But what Jesus said there, and you can look this up, King James in the column, center column. It really said, Jesus really said, Have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. Don't operate out of your faith. Peter, you're looking at it operating out of your faith. You're filtered through your faith. Operate in it as having the faith of God. When you operate through the filter of the faith of God, you are occupying what God has called you to occupy. It's when you operate through the faith of God that mountains move. When you operate through the faith of God, it's when the impossible becomes possible. The impossible becomes possible. That's when Lazaruses get up. That's when lepers are cleansed. That's when tax collectors come to Jesus and give back everything they took. Amen, I would have been... There would have been a big amen right there. If if Trey would have been preaching, I would have been listening to this. I would have said, amen. Come on. You see where Jesus operated? He operated from the faith of God. It wasn't his own faith as a human. It was his faith given to Him in measure. I, I want to I just say something right here that may surprise some of you, but it shouldn't. That the same measure of faith that you have been given from God is the same measure of faith that Jesus was given from God. His faith was no greater than your faith. He just used His. See where Jesus operated from, we never see Jesus' mission on this earth affected or paused by government mandates, by disease, by social or political unrest, socioeconomic stuff coming. Because he operated in the faith of God, he operated in a different plane. He operated in a different kingdom. Government mandates did not mean anything. Did he respect them? Absolutely respected them. But let me let me just say this: Rome's time was as bad or worse than what we've got it right now. And Jesus never allowed the political arena, never allowed the social arena, to affect his faith in what he was doing to occupy. This job that I have now of being a pastor, of being a minister, this job I have now doesn't change with the economy. It doesn't change with government shifts. It does not change with social or political unrest. My job doesn't change. Lynette's job doesn't change as a minister. Trey and Heather's job doesn't change as a minister. Let me tell you something. It doesn't mean because we're higher or we're on a different level. Each and every one of you are ministers. You have been given ministry on the inside of you. It's called serving people. That's all ministry is, is serving people. Taking this faith, taking this message, taking this gospel that we've been given and making a story out of our story with that. And it should not be reduced or stopped or paused because the government says anything. It's because you're operating. Listen, it's not about rebelling. It's not about rebelling. It's just operating in a different kingdom. Operating in a different kingdom. And it doesn't change. This job that we have as ministers does not change unless we stop advancing it. And when we stop advancing it, we become an annoyance. That's probably why. No, I better not say that. (laughs) That's probably why that sometimes we turn on Christian television and we go. "Mm." (laughs) We're not going to let this sway us. It's not that we're better. It's that we need to each one of us need to have this on the inside of us. Occupy till I come. Jesus is speaking, occupy till I come. See, this world's issue should never dictate dictate to us our need for escape. I'm going to say that again. This world's issue should never dictate our need for escape. It should never... We, When we watch the news, and let, let me tell you something, if you, if you can watch the news and not get mad, you're a bigger person than I am. But when we watch those things, when we hear these things, when we see these things come across our social media feeds, when we see these things that, that are going on in our world, we see the unrest, all those kinds of things, we as Christians should never look at those things and it drive an escape mentality on us. That's not occupying. That's escaping. That's saying, I don't have what it takes. And Jesus said, you have what it takes because I've given you the measure of faith. We have the power. We have the grace gift. We have God's faith to change this world. So let me ask you this question. Just think about it. Don't answer out loud because I, I believe I know your answer. What would you desire to see from God's faith to do under your stewardship? I mean, do you, do you want to see family members come to know who Jesus Christ is? I mean, I want to see with God's faith and going through the junk that we're going through. I'm not looking to get out of here. I'm looking to see my family members come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to see friends that can't escape addiction, I want to see them set free. I want to see cancer eradicated in the presence of God. I want to see the sick raised up. I want to see the dead raised up. I want to see miracles, signs, and wonders. I want to see stuff happen that can only happen if we who have been given God's faith are here to introduce and occupy and invest his faith into this world. Or do we just want to escape this crappy condition of the world? See, we've received God's faith, the measure of faith. And do we just want to stuff it in the... Couch cushion and turn on Fox News. We're not here to stuff it in a couch cushion or put it in a napkin. We ain't here for fire insurance. We ain't here to say the sinner's prayer, come to the name, come to the knowledge of, of the name of Jesus, get our Christian on and not do anything with it. Amen. Does that mean you're not going to heaven? No, it means you're going to heaven. You're just going to go to heaven and he's going to say, dude, you're an annoyance to me. You didn't do anything with what I have given you to do with. Annoying sucker. So when you read this parable, I hope that it changes your perspective because Jesus gave this parable to them to change their perspective it's not a way of escape it's a way of empowerment being empowered by the faith of God seeing the impossible become possible here's what it looked like to them when Jesus sent out his 12 disciples to minister what they had received from him in Matthew chapter 10 verse 8 Jesus told them heal the sick raise the dead cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. That is investing. That is using. When you're walking down the street with this gift that I have given you, this amount of chunk of change, give as it has been given to you. Because when you give, you are occupying. When you give, you're seeing the sick healed. When you give, you'll see the dead raised. When you give, you'll see the demons cast out. When you give, you're going to see a return. Well, Pastor, what if they don't like what I have to say? High risk, high return. Moderate risk, moderate return. Modest risk, modest return. No risk, no return. Annoying sucker. <laughs> so what does that mean for us? Listen listen to what Jesus said to us, what he commissioned us in Mark chapter 16, right before he goes to heaven, right before the prince goes to another land for a time. He says in chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 15, he says, go, go, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in a new language. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. No. But that's what he said, so it's going to happen And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. He said this, go into all the world. So many times we hear that and we think, okay, if I go into all the world, that means I have to go be a missionary somewhere. I have to go to Mexico. I have to go to Australia. I have to go to to Africa. I have to go... I have to go to Myanmar. I don't even know where that's at. I just know the name. I have to go somewhere into the world. No, what he actually means is he's saying, start in the world around you. You live, your story is placed within a world. Whatever arena you're placed in, that is your world. Because when you reach that world, you'll be given more to reach. And when you reach that world, you'll be given more to reach. He says, go into all the world. Whatever world you're in, reach into that world. preach the gospel into that world. Invest into that world. Occupy that world. Occupy. Jesus said, Occupy. I come. Occupy. Say that with me. Occupy. 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 I'm an occupier. Amen. Amen. You are. You are an occupier because he has given you the measure of faith. Now pull it out of the seat cushion and get to work. Amen. 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 High risk, high return. Amen. I don't know about you. I want to see miracle signs and wonders. I want to see miracles happen in my own life and I want to see miracles happen at my own hands. And if I'll risk it, if I'll risk it, I'll get a return. Amen. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. And God, I just pray that as we take these words, as we occupy, as we take these words as your words, to us and we occupy. Father, I pray that the the measure of faith that you have given us will be multiplied as we occupy. Father, I thank you so much that you are a good God. You are not a harsh man. You are not a man who is um, bitter and angry. You're not one who uses people. You are one who makes stories out of people. And so, Father, I just pray that this morning as we have heard these things, as we have heard this parable, as we have heard Jesus begin to speak to us, that we would be those people that would take your word, that we would take your faith, and we would put it into action. We would put it into, into work and invest it. God, I thank you for that word. And Father, this morning I pray that if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice, anybody in this room, anybody listening by podcast, anybody listening by our platforms, our video platforms, whether it's live or whether it's later on down the line, that they're listening to my voice right now. If you have never came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, now is the time to do it because you've been operating in your world by your faith and that's not enough to occupy. You need the kingdom because operating in this world with only your faith will grip you with fear. When you have Jesus a part of your life, you receive a measure of faith, the measure of faith, and you step into a whole different kingdom. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, now is the time to do it. And this is the picture that I have been given so many times that when we're in this moment, Jesus is on that cross. Jesus went to that cross and He's on that cross and He's beaten and He's bloody and He's swelled up. He can hardly even crack His eyes open to look into your eyes, but He's looking eye to eye. He has locked eyes with you through all the blood and all the harshness and the abuse that he has taken and he asked the one question that he asked every disciple before they became a disciple he says will you come and follow me will you come and follow me he's locked eyes with you and he's asking you that question if you've never said yes to him right now is the time to say yes yes and when you say yes to him There is a kingdom transfer that happens. There is a faith transfer that happens. There is a destiny transfer that happens. There is an eternal transfer that happens. Your address in the eternity changes from one address to another. And heaven is where you live from now. You don't live from this world's address. You don't live from the destiny of hell. You live from a heavenly address and an eternal address of good, great, awesome God. Father, I pray right now for every person who has said yes this morning. Every person who says yes, every person who says yes to you. Father, that, that, they, would, that they would feel, they would feel that transference happen in their lives thank you, God, for who you are and what you've given us. You've given us the ability to not escape these times, but to go through these times because you have given us your faith to do it. And we will occupy till you come. Thank you, God, for all that you do and all that you are in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Come on up. Here's the last thing that I want to tell you. Jesus never positioned himself under the power of the world. He never positioned himself under the power of the world. How did he do that? Well, next week, I'm going to use, I want to take off, jump off from right here, and I want to tell you how he did it and how we can do it. So come back next week, and I'll tell you how to do that. Amen.